Well, we are moving on in our series, What on Earth Am I Here For? Last week we considered that we were planned for God's pleasure and that when we are commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, it's what we call worship. So it's not just a worship service, but our lives are given over to him so that every part of whatever it is we do is an act of worship done as to him, to please him. Now the other side of that coin we're considering together this morning, just as love for the Lord is the driving force of worship. So it's love again which is the driving force of what we're calling and what the Bible calls fellowship. So we are to love one another. We are commanded not just as a nice idea that keeps us pulling together But as Christ has loved us, we are to love one another. You've heard people say from time to time, almost humorously, that they love humanity, they love the world. It's the individual people they can't stand. Well, of course, that gives root to the lie. How difficult it is genuinely to love And how much of what we call fellowship and love is pretty synthetic. And the need to deepen our sense of community together and relationship to each other is a command on the one hand and a gift from God to us of a family that belongs to each other on the other hand. So that's what we're considering together this day. If you open your service sheet to page 6, it will bring you to Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. That's the passage we are considering together today as it speaks about our being made a family by God's Spirit as we yield our lives to Christ and are made new in him. His spirit comes to dwell in us and we are born again spiritually. And it's not just then that we are connected to God, but we become a family together, one by one. Now just as I mentioned last week, all of us has the need to worship. We are made to worship. It's God's God's idea that we worship and that we worship him. And when we do not or will not worship him, we will find something else, someone else, some other situation, career, object to worship. And in the same way, we've been made for community, not to live in isolation, Even from the womb, 
to belong. A sense of bonding and relationship runs very, very deep. Parents, when they see that first child, are just overwhelmed with love. Maybe the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth as well. But that first one is so monumental. So, believe it or not, somebody looked at you when you were born and ogled you, looked at you, said how cute you were. Now look what happened to you. But there was that moment when you were a prized jewel. Well, what's spectacular is this, that when Jesus comes into our lives, we are born anew spiritually so that in the first place we are alive to God. But we become alive to each other. And that's what this passage sets very graphically before us. Look at verse 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. Notice in verse 12, therefore brothers and sisters, he's speaking to those to whom he's writing in a familial way, that they are brothers, they are sisters. Look at what it goes on to say, verse 15, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit, the spirit of sonship. And by him, the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. So we call God Father. The word Abba, literally meaning dad, what children would have called their parents, and still today do, in the Middle East, Abba, Dad, Father, that we are amazed by the thrill and wonder of being able to call God Father, not just some remote, almighty, powerful, distant, unknowable force, but that intimate personal relationship by which we call him dad. And therefore, the very next verse, verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So there is that internal witness of God's Spirit that together we see ourselves as his children. the family being described in these terms. And beyond that, it's, it's quite something the way the scriptures here pile one honor or privilege on top of another. Look at verse 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs together of God and co-heirs with Christ. 
We are even considered, when we are born anew into God's family, to be co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ of all that heaven holds for us as for him. What a privilege. Now just to review all those statements again, sad to say all too briefly, that when the Spirit of God comes to dwell in us, we are given a personal and intimate sense of relationship to God Almighty. Personal and intimate. I was surprised by that when I first came to faith. Not raised to be religious, not used to the religious language, never had read the Bible. Pieces of it here and there in school. Didn't own a Bible, that's for sure. But when Christ came into my life, I knew I had a Father in heaven and a personal relationship to him. Intuitively, God's spirit witnessed with my spirit that he was my dad. And immediately, I began to share all kinds of details concerning my life. Now, I didn't know that the Bible taught that I could or should, and what a privilege it was. But the Spirit witnessed with my spirit that God was my Father. And I was His child. And when we speak of ourselves as being God's children, and it's described here that His Spirit witnesses with our spirits that we are indeed His children. That becomes our primary identity. There's no greater honor than to be a child of his. What an identity. Your identity is not first your nation, or your race, or your club, or your career, or your looks. We identify ourselves in all manner of ways. It's not even that we identify ourselves with our own family in the first place, mum and dad, brothers and sisters. And some of us are very proud of our heritage. That would be particularly so in England, maybe here in the USA. But I knew growing up about royalty and the blue bloods, Family names all heaped one after another in somebody's five-name name. I'm just John Guest. No other middle initial. No posh family heritage that I'm trying to identify by adding that other name in the middle that I don't want to lose because of my family identity. My first identity is my relationship to Almighty God by which His Spirit confirms in me that I am His Son. That's my first identity. So that wherever I go in the world, my first identity 
is that I belong to Jesus. He is in me, and I've been adopted into his family. You know that we have four daughters, and probably most of you know that one of them is adopted. The oldest one is adopted. Scripture speaks about our being adopted into the family of God. But the oldest one is adopted. Now, when she was adopted into our family, we already had two daughters, two little ones. But the one who was adopted was 16 when she came into our family. We never, ever really did formally adopt her. We never went through the legal motions of formal adoption. But she became a part of our family, and therefore... Our family was her family. What had happened was this. Her mother was diagnosed with cancer and dying of cancer when her father died of a stroke. And then the mother died. And then she had no mother and father. And she had been asked by her mother, who do you want to live with when I die? And she said, I want to live with John and Kathy Guest. I was the youth minister at the time. And so she came into our family. Now, do you know what gives me great pleasure? Is when she introduces me to friends and people who are her acquaintances when she introduces me as her dad. We've got different names. She's still got her name. Isn't that amazing? I kind of take it for granted that our own of-the-body children are ours. But when Susanna Susu calls me dad, introduces me as dad, it's a special kind of privilege. I feel privileged honored by it, that she's willing to identify herself with me as her dad. When you see your identity in the first place, because of the Spirit of God dwelling in you, and you're becoming a member, a living member of the family of God, that you see your first identity as him, his family. The pleasure that that would give our Heavenly Father. And last of all, to be co-heirs. Such a noble destiny as a gift. Unearned by us, but won for us by Jesus, who knowingly came from glory, catch this, knowingly came from heaven, born into the world as a human being, a little baby, growing up into adulthood in order that he himself should lay down his life and die on our behalf that we might be forgiven and that his spirit come and indwell us so that we are born again and made a new creation also that you and I could share with him in the destiny of heaven to be co-heirs with him 
So it's not just that we get a new family with a new identity, but we've got a new destiny that is spectacular beyond all rhyme or reason, except that God loved us and wanted us adopted into his family. Such an amazing privilege. We call that family by a number of different names. Not we, but the Bible. For instance, it's described as a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks about Christ himself being the head, but all of us being the body with different functions. We're not all the same. We, we are the different parts of the body of Christ, making up his body with our particular callings and place within the body, but himself, Jesus, being the head. We are called a holy temple built of living stones. Jesus Christ himself and the teaching of the apostles being the foundation, and Jesus himself also being the chief cornerstone of that temple. But we are living stones in that temple. And God, for some reason, has fashioned us corporately, not just individually that my body be a temple of the Holy Spirit, that for sure is described in the scripture, but that we together are a temple. Living stones in that body. Here's a third, that we are a flock. Sheep gathered with our one shepherd. Jesus who described himself as the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. So we are his flock. He gathers us. He calls us by name. He calls us to follow him. And we follow him. He leads us beside the still waters. He leads us into the green pastures. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, just as our singers were singing. He shepherds us. It's not just me and him. It's us. Throughout the whole of this passage, it is we, we, we. Take a look at it. We cry. Chapter verse 15. We cry, Abba Father. Verse 16. We are God's children. Verse 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Even as the Apostle Paul in this teaching is teaching about who we are and what our identity is, he is including us corporately in being that together. The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. We are the church. 
But the word ecclesia literally means the gathering. Literally. So while it's now become like ecclesiastical, ecclesiology, and it's become a word in the English language that denotes church order and a church title, it literally means a gathering around Jesus, to be gathered around him. C.S. Lewis made this profound statement. Let me read it for you. The society into which the Christian is called is not a collective, like communism, for instance, where you have farms that are collectives and businesses that are collectives, but it is a body. It is, in fact, that body which the family unit is an image of on the natural level. If anyone came to that church, to that body, with the misconception that the church was amassing together of persons, as if they were pennies or chips, or people in a club, people in a union, we would be corrected at the threshold by the discovery that the head of this body is utterly unlike its inferior members. They share no divinity with him except by analogy. We are summoned at the outset to combine as creatures with our creator, as mortals with the immortal, as redeemed sinners with a sinless redeemer. His presence, his interaction, the interaction between him and us must always be the overwhelmingly dominant factor in the life that we are to lead within the body. And any misconception of Christian fellowship which does not mean primarily fellowship with him, Jesus, is out of order. We're not in fellowship because we join the same organization. We're not in fellowship because we've signed off as members of this particular church. We'll be inducting new members at the next service. And they have signed off on that membership. They've made their commitment. And we'll be installing them as new members. But that's not what makes the membership the membership from the Bible's point of view, therefore from God's point of view. What makes us members one of another is our relationship to the head of the body, the one around whom we gather as the church, and that is the Lord Jesus. And once we are connected to him, and some of you resist this with all your might, we are connected to one another. We are family. To look around, just as you look around and say, you mean I'm connected to all these, remember, they're looking at you. 
So you mean I'm connected to him, to her? Yes, is the answer. So we have been pressing for a gathering around in smaller entities, small groups, so that we can get to know each other by name. Some of you will uh, remember the show that was all about a pub up in Boston and where when you were there, everybody knew your name. To have a small group to which we are connected and everybody knows our name. So that within this larger family, we get to know one another. So we've been speaking of that. And so throughout the scriptures, we are told to love one another, forgive one another, care for one another, have sympathy with one another, encourage one another. God has given us each other as a family to be our support and our encouragement. Now, there are different levels of fellowship, and you and I both know that. I mean, there is a sense in which when we worship together, we do feel a community. I was with 37,000 other people last night at the pirate game. And when you're rooting for the pirates, you do sense, hey, we're here too, with our black and gold, screaming for the pirates. And there is a sense of community, and when we sing together and pray together, it's like we together are saying, our Father who art in heaven. It's not just my Father, our Father together. We have a sense of community. But the need for us to fall into and get ourselves into smaller groups beyond just coffee and conversation where everybody knows your name, where you learn to serve together, suffer together, to bear one another's burdens, to feel one another's pain, to enter into one another's joy, even to be able to forgive one another, a place of grace. where our mistakes aren't rubbed in, but rubbed out. Where people know us, and we work through our differences, study God's word together, see ourselves as committed to one another. Such a powerful, wonderful, experience. Do you know it? Do you know it? It's still not too late to sign up. For a small group, for this study we're doing, what on earth am I here for with the book by Rick Warren? I'm encouraging you to go to the table and get signed up. 
we'll get you into a smaller group. Let me close with this example, illustration, real life. There was a woman in our early days here in Pittsburgh we got to know. She was a buyer for the Joseph Horn Company, which has long gone, disappeared. She was a tough woman. She was on the edge of retirement when we met her. She was the only child of a mum who was an only child and a dad who was an only child. So when they died, she as an only child had no siblings. She may have had some distant aunts and uncles and therefore distant cousins, but nobody immediate. And she was worshipping with us at our church down in Sewickley. And she got to know Jesus personally. And this tough lady who worked in a tough environment had been altogether self-sufficient all her life, made it for herself. Had very few genuine true friends because she was so brittle, so tough. She became a follower of Jesus. She became like family to us and our little girls. We would pop in on her unannounced as we're riding our bikes around the village. Her name was Becky. When Becky died, we had our service for her in the, in the church. And as my wife was walking to the church, into the parking lot, which was absolutely jam-packed and people out parked on the street, somebody walking by said to her, what on earth is going on here in the middle of the week? To which Kathy said, one of our sisters has died. When Becky was memorialized and spoken of, the church was standing room only. Why was that? Because that tough, tough old bird had become a tender, warm, relational woman that we all loved. And we owned her as ours. And she owned us as hers. And we were there, standing room only, to say farewell. Who's going to be there when you die? Does anybody care enough? Get connected. We're not lone rangers. Actually, even the lone ranger had Tonto. We're made for each other. Believe it. It's real. If you know and love Jesus,
Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, we call you Lord and own you as our Lord and Savior. And it's an amazing thing that you have done for us in making us your body, your church, your holy temple, your flock, your family. Forgive us our pride, how our sense of independence, our unwillingness to really become close. Grant that we may get way beyond just being users of church to being producers with one another in the church of a whole and warm family and fellowship. We need you. We need each other. You've given us yourself. You've given us each other. Fill us with the joy of belonging to each other as we belong to you. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.